Hello and welcome to Intrepid Heroes. Uh, normally we have an actual play podcast that we will publish on Tuesdays and then we have interviews that we typically publish on Thursdays or Fridays. But given that today is New Year's Eve, the uh, crew is off doing holiday things with their families. So I thought I would try something a little bit different today. So I'm John Godek and I am the executive producer um, for Intrepid Heroes. I'm also the GM when we do the actual play podcast. And what I want to talk about today is a little bit about the equipment and process that we have for our podcast. Because that's something when I was looking at starting the, the podcast in the first place, I was curious about um, what other people did. And so I thought uh, it would be worthwhile sharing with you all. Um, I've done quite a bit of research on this. So we started the podcast in end of July so that we could start posting before Gen Con of this current year. Before that, I spent quite a bit of time researching what type of things would be best for doing a, a good quality podcast. And so one of the very first things that I had made a decision on was I wanted to have individual microphones and individual tracks for everybody in the Actual Play podcast. And so... For our group, initially we um, thought we might have six players plus the GM, so we were going to need um, seven individual microphones and tracks. And it ended up that we um, settled on five players in the GM, so six. And looking at a lot of the uh, recording systems out there, there were quite a few things that were designed for four microphones, but in order to get a recorder to do six or or seven potentially, you had to go a little bit bigger. And so what I ended up uh, deciding upon is getting the Zoom R24 digital multi-track recorder. And the nice thing about this is it actually has eight inputs. So you could also potentially have an input, say, for Sirenscape or music or something else into it, which is one of the things that we had considered. Um, and it has a total of 24 tracks. So in addition to having multiple inputs, you could actually lay additional tracks if you want. And each of these tracks has individual gain controls and volume sliders. So there's quite a bit you can do with them. And um, one thing that uh, was pretty important for us is that the tracks had the ability, should you want, um, uh, on the R24s, you could actually uh, have fan, uh, phantom power to them for microphones that required power like a condenser mic and it it turns out um i decided not to go that route and i'll explain why in a bit so uh that was, so that was kind of the first thing was um how were we going to record it and we could have recorded directly to a laptop or something um but i wanted something a little bit more portable something where i could just set it up and record and not mess with it too much because at the time for the actual play podcast in addition to running and jamming things I, I was actually I also do all the recording so I wanted something I could kind of fire and forget and the nice thing about the recorder is you set it up and you hook up your microphones you check your levels you hit record and go and they're pretty bulletproof um, they're not prone to having glitches or hiccups or um, getting blue screens of death or anything like that they're they record to an SD card and they just kind of go. And so the nice thing uh, about having a standalone recorder as well is 
that you're not tying up a, a machine dedicated just to recording to. So that's good. And, and obviously the recorder, while it is expensive, uh, they're right around five or 600 bucks, it is a lot cheaper than getting a full-blown uh, laptop or computer dedicated to just doing that. So that was kind of the first decision um, that I made was what I was going to record on. Uh, and that was driven by wanting to have individual microphones at individual tracks. And I did that primarily for sound quality. And so one of the things that I noticed listening to other podcasts is sometimes you'll get individuals that will have differences in volume. So, so for example, if you listen to the podcast, um, sometimes I'm not as good as I, I should be with adjusting the volume. You'll hear people off a little bit, but it's they're all relatively close. You can hear hear what everybody says pretty well. If you did not have individual tracks, if you had somebody that was very, very quiet, so um, one of our players is actually very quiet, you could not boost that particular track, boost that volume, without a, a, affecting it, a, anything else. And conversely, I'm also very loud as the GM and also my headset that I have there. So I have to tone myself down relative to the players. In having individual tracks, you can adjust that. Uh, also, other things that come up. So, you know, we're doing this through the fall and, and into the winter. People might get a cold. Somebody sneezes. Somebody coughs. Things like that. It's an individual. You can take out that sound on that track and other things like that. If it's all mixed together, so if you just had um, one microphone and you're recording the whole table, first of all, the sound doesn't isn't as clear, but also you can't make those individual adjustments. So in terms of volume control in terms of editing out uh, what individuals are saying and things like that so that that's i, I think it's important so i the r uh 24 from zoom fits that build they also have an r16 which is a little bit less expensive i didn't like the build quality of it um and that's the main reason why i didn't go with that now the the r24 is about the size of a large keyboard so it's not not really a small thing. You can power it by batteries, or it has a little um, a, a wall adapter, so it it is fairly mobile, but it's still pretty good size. Um, when I started dis, uh, doing interviews, and I wanted to do them on the road, so go to people's places or conventions and whatnot, I decided to get a smaller recorder, and that's where I got the Zoom HN6. Um, they, they have, it's a handy recorder. They have several versions of this. This is the newest version and the default on it, the default setup is where it has four microphone inputs. So if you're interviewing one person or two people works out pretty well. And when I say microphone inputs, I'm talking about, uh, XLR, uh, inputs, which all of them also take a, a quarter inch plug if you want, but XLR is the, the way I was going with this. And so uh, I decided for the travel to get um, the HN6, which is a, uh, well, I guess it's a Zune H6. It's a uh, six-track portable recorder, and it, it comes with four inputs, but you can get an add-on that goes on the top of it, so you can actually get six inputs. And the nice thing about this is it's very small, so it's about the same size as, uh, say, so their phone, iPhone or something, maybe about three times as thick though. So the same dimensions width and lengthwise, but thicker. So it's fairly compact. 
Um, it doesn't have as many things that you can adjust on it as the, the R24. Pretty much it just has a gain on there um, for individual tracks. But that's enough um, for doing things if you need. Um, and like I said, you can record four tracks on it or four microphones. But with an add-on um, on the top, you can do six. And so for me, this is nice in that it's portable for going places to do interviews or conventions or traveling and whatnot. Or it also, in a pinch, will work as a backup for our main actual play podcast one right now because we only have six microphones. So if we went to seven, then that becomes a little bit more problematic. I'm recording on the H6 now, and it's pretty good. I don't have many issues with it. Again, it's also battery-powered, so you can use, I think it's just, I think it's four AA batteries. And then it also has a, I, I purchased a separate wall outlet so I could use it plugged into wall power if I need, but I always carry extra batteries just in case. So, so that's the other, the other recorder I use. And again, uh, I've seen some podcasts that actually just use the H6. Um, it's pretty, pretty versatile in that regard, um, or using the H6 with a mixer or something. So I'm using the R24 for our main one and then the H6 just for more one-on-one interviews and things like that. So that's that's what we're using for recorders. All right. So uh, how do we get the sound in? Now this is this was took a little bit uh, longer to figure out and I wanted to get good microphones and I actually had to learn quite a bit about the differences between microphones. And there's two main categories when you're looking at microphones. You have uh, dynamic microphones and you have condenser microphones. And the main difference between these two is that with a dynamic microphone, it does not require what's called phantom power to the device. Basically, you talk and the sound is able to come through. With a condenser microphone, it does require phantom power. Now, with a condenser microphone, they tend to be very, very sensitive. So you can have a condenser microphone in, in the middle of a table and you'll capture everybody, but you'll also capture all the noise in the room and probably noise in the next room. With a dynamic microphone, especially the uh, cardioid ones that I'm using, they capture just what's directly in front of them, but off to the side, not so much. And so if you're in a busy, uh, loud place, and so I actually did some interviews in a convention hall, you can still hear the main person you're talking to and all the other noise is somewhat muted. I've tried to take uh, tried to take some of that out in post, but if you take out too much, then it actually makes your main uh, vocals sound really artificial, uh, like robotic or something. So for the most part, I try to limit the, the sound and, um, and before it goes in rather than take it out in post. So making that decision, okay, so I decided we're going to go with some sort of dynamic cardioid uh, microphones. And uh, as the, the, the GM, I need to keep my hands free. And I also, because I'm monitoring the sound, I needed a headset. So I picked up uh, basically what looks like a uh, kind of like a gamer headset, but it's a lot, lot higher quality. So it's an Audio-Technica uh, BPH-S1. And I'll, I'll put all links to all these in the show notes so you can kind of see where they are. I probably won't get them out right away because I'm going to try to get this podcast posted today. 
Uh, but I'll go back and add to the show notes all the different links of this equipment. Um, so the the main headset in microphone I use is the Audio uh, Technica uh, BPH S1 broadcast stereo headset with dynamic cardioid boom mic, and this has worked out really well. It's pretty comfortable to wear uh, for multiple hours. Um, the microphone sounds really really clear, and it keeps you hands free pretty well. So um, that's worked out worked out really really well for me for the players uh, in my actual play podcast I started off with um, some similar kind of similar uh, microphones so the sound would be the same and their audio uh, Technica Pro H I'm sorry Pro 8 HEX hypercardioid dynamic head worn microphones and so these are microphones that have like a small headset type of thing but no no earphones so they you can wear them on your head or you can actually wear them around your neck that depends on uh, what's more comfortable with you and then it has a pretty high quality microphone and so I bought one of those for each of the players that potentially we're going to have so I bought six of those and that's what we all started and because we didn't get a six player I just had a spare and it always seems good to have a spare um, though we haven't had to need them uh, in the games, all of them have worked pretty well. So uh, I bought these, uh, one for each of the of the players, and they seem to work out pretty well. It, they the players themselves adjust them a little bit for them, and so they always use the same headset, so that it's uh, already kind of adjusted for them. So there's um, a metal strap that kind of goes around your head or your neck, depending on how you want to wear it, and so you can kind of bend that out a little bit so it's more comfortable. And so that's worked out pretty well. And what I ended up doing in addition was when I started doing uh, one-on-one interviews. And so I traveled to a convention and I brought some equipment to one-on-one interviews. I picked up a couple of handheld microphones. And these were Shure um, SM58s. And these are pretty standard industry microphones. You see them uh, being used by musicians all the time. They're really well known for being pretty much indestructible. And, uh, I mean, literally people would pound nails with them. Uh, and I, I didn't get them because they're really tough. I got them because they're actually a pretty good sound. And I got two of those so that when I traveled and did interviews with people, it was a more traditional-looking microphone rather than having them have to put on a headset and et cetera, et cetera, because not everyone you talk to is going to be comfortable um, doing that sort of thing. And those have actually turned out really, really well. Um, uh, I, in addition to using on the one-on-one interviews, I actually, for two of my players, I've in the actual play podcast, I've had them using them as well. So we actually game at uh, one of our players' house, and so he and his wife uh, are at the table, and sometimes they have to go in and deal with their kids or something else going on, and with the headset mics. You have to take them off. Actually, makes quite a bit of noise. So with the uh, SM58s, just in a microphone stand in front of them, they can just get up and go, and you can't really even tell them coming and going. The downfall to that is they oftentimes aren't conscious of which way they're looking when they're talking, and so sometimes you'll they'll kind of fade out a little bit because they'll be looking down or looking around or whatever, and when they're talking. And with the headset mics, obviously you don't get that because the microphone follows you around. 
but with the two uh, on the microphone stands, you, you'll get some of that. So that's kind of the, the downside to that. But I think the the pluses are that you can get up and move around. You're not um, going to cause a lot of extra noise when you have that. I, I have looked at some lapel microphones and tested them out. One of the issues there is most of those are omnidirectional rather than cardioid, which means they pick up what you're saying, but also like everything else around. And and they're also, almost all the lapel microphones are condenser, which means you need phantom power. So it uh, I, I think the cardioids have worked out pretty well. So I have one headset mic that has the headphones built on that I use. I have the individual players had headset mics. And then I have two mics on microphone stands that I use for interviews, but also for the players. In addition, I recently purchased another microphone. And this one is an Audio-Technica ATR2100. And this is actually what a lot of people recommend is a entry-level podcasting mic uh, because it has a, a couple of, of neat things. The first is it's a USB and XLR microphone. That is, it has a USB plug. You can plug it right into your computer and use it as a microphone. And it has an XLR, which means you can take it and plug it right into nicer devices. And in fact, I am using it right now because I have it set on a boom arm next to my computer and it's just convenient to use it for this. The, the quality isn't quite as good as the SM58. Uh, it's a little, I think a little bit muddier, but it's actually not bad. And I got this one in particular for using with the computer because if I uh, um, interview somebody remotely, I had been going by the telephone uh, so interviewing them on a cell phone and, you know, I'm recording my side onto my recorder. They're recording their side, you know, through the cell phone into my recorder and their side isn't very clear. And so I decided to try out a remote podcasting software called Zencaster, Z-E-N-C-A-S-T-R. And that uses a microphone on your computer. So I wanted to have something pretty decent quality without breaking the bank. And so the, the ATR uh, 2100 by Audio-Technica is actually pretty good quality and pretty reasonably priced. So I, I got one of those uh, and a boom arm to use at my desk, plug it into my computer and actually um, did one of these remote recordings uh, yesterday with a friend and it turned out really, really well. So my side sounds pretty good typically because I can record directly to my recorder but the other side in this case sounded really, really good as well. And what Zencaster does is they talk into their microphone. It records it on their side, and it's a browser-based. So you just have to be in a web browser. You don't have to install any software. Once you're done doing the recording, it uploads it from their browser to the cloud, and then you can download it to your computer and make edits with it. So it's almost as if... Um, somebody was like recording right into your computer. So it's really driven primarily, it seems like, by the, the audio quality on the other end from the microphone. And so if they have a decent microphone, it turns out pretty well. So anyway, I decided to get the, the ATR2100 because I wanted a USB mic that had some flexibility. And so that's why I got that. And this is actually pretty nice. I in retrospect, I, I think maybe I would have gotten a couple of these instead of the SM58s. I was kind of 
halfway leaning one way versus the other. There's about a $20 price difference between the two. Um, but the, the SM58s just have such a great reputation that I decided to go with those. Um, now, I would recommend folks go, if you're just starting out, getting an ATR 2100 because you can use this straight into a computer initially. And then if you kind of grow your equipment, then you can use the XLR. So that I think that works out works out pretty well. Talked about the recorders, talked about the microphones. I have some other um, miscellaneous things. So I got a couple of these um, universal uh, desk stands. They're portable and foldable. Um, they're relatively inexpensive, but they're really nice to have on the road. You know, so if I'm doing a podcast uh, interview, I just basically have like a, a really small bag with all the equipment in it. I can take it out. It takes me not even five minutes to set up. Any table works, and then you're all set. Let's see, other things that I'm using. Oh, um, good headset um, when you're editing, I think is is actually really really important. Um, I was using some really inexpensive um, or Tascon headsets. So the Tascon TH02, about as cheap as a headset as you could get, and still have some reasonable sense of sound. Those are under 20 bucks. They're they're okay. Um, they worked out pretty well. I'm on my second one though because the plugs wear out over time, and uh, so not not really sturdy. Uh, for Christmas though, my wife was kind enough to get me an Audio Technica ATH M50X. These are really really good professional studio monitor headphones. They give a really clean sound. That is, it's neutral. Doesn't add any extra bass or any, anything else so you kind of really hear what's coming through they have different uh, cord lengths that can attach and detach uh, one's coiled and two are just like straight so you have a short one and a long one um, they're super comfortable bang for your buck these are these are awesome now they cost about a hundred bucks more than the the Tascom ones but I, I i think if if the sound quality is important for you i i think having a a good set of headphones is is really important so um like for me when, as soon as i got these i went and listened back to some of my older podcasts and i could hear some things that i wish i had heard before and taken out um so i, I think going forward that the quality of my recordings are going to be quite a bit better because i'm able to go in and make those edits and changes all right so now we have the recorder we have microphones you have headsets to listen to things there's patch cables um lots of different things you can get i the xlr i i get color-coded ones and so uh, you know i just bought a pack with um six and a half foot cables um 10 pack with uh, various colors and i also bought a um another 10 pack with uh 10 foot cables because it turns out that sometimes i need longer cables uh and this is how i actually keep track of whose uh headset is is whose is they have a dedicated cable plugged into it and that color is assigned to the person. And so we always, when I break things out, they always get the same color. Um, so that's kind of convenient there. And they're not terribly expensive, but make sure you get some decent cables because that you don't want that to be the weak point between a good recorder and good microphones and stuff. All right, so you're able to collect all this stuff. What do you do then? Well, so what I do, uh, and again, after doing some research, it seems like the, the better podcasts all use some sort of DAW, so a digital audio workstation, in order to edit 
the tracks coming in and like for me i add some background music and have an intro and outro just volumes and things like that in order to do that you need some sort of digital uh, audio uh, workstation two, the two that people talk about all the time are audacity and GarageBand. so GarageBand comes with uh, the macintosh if you have it I don't have a Mac. I don't really know how GarageBand works in terms of editing in separate tracks, but if you do have a Mac, I'd say try that out and, and go for it. Uh, Audacity is the, the one that a lot of people use, a lot of podcasters. It's it's an open source or free type of thing. It's older. It's not super powerful, a little clunky. Um, I downloaded it and took a look at it, and just from the reviews, I decided not to spend a lot of time trying to figure it out. I looked at a lot of other um, various levels of uh, uh, DAWs, and the one I decided on was actually Reaper. It's it's one that you can download and use for free. So they, it's like kind of a, a freemium model that you can download what they have for like 60 days, and it, and it works. And it actually will continue to work, but you don't get any updates or anything. Uh, well, actually, I don't know the time, time limit on it. Or you can purchase it for small business use which I think they say is like under $20,000 annual revenue for like $60 license, um, or you can pay more for different licenses. So that's the one I decided to go with because it's it's kind of like a semi-pro-ish thing. It has a lot of capabilities. You can do a lot with it, um, but it isn't super hard to figure out. I've only found one book that talks about it. It was on, on Amazon, and it's written by a fellow who's, English was the second language. It seems okay. What I really found more useful is actually uh, just finding YouTube videos. So if I needed to try to do something in, in Reaper, I would just Google Reaper Da, whatever it was, and sure enough, a handful of YouTube videos will show up and tell you how to, to figure it out. You know, Reaper's been around long enough and been used by primarily musicians for long enough that it's easy to find folks that will uh, explain how to do basic things. Now, a lot of those things that are being explained are with earlier versions that might be like five or six years old, but the process seems about the same. And I, I've really, now that I've learned how to use it, which probably took maybe a month of regular use, it's actually really straightforward. I can go through and do a really quick edit of, of my audio, get it in, and it doesn't take much time. The main thing is I I'm, I have to listen through if there are any like really loud artifacts or one of the things in my group is I have a couple of people that laugh really loud. And so I have to go in there. Oftentimes those I'll get some clipping because it's the gain is too high and and I have to actually um, use the 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 DAW to decrease the levels on individuals for small sections. The, the rest of the time. They're, they're at a good volume, but all of a sudden they, they get really loud when they laugh, and I need to tone that down. And with a, a digital audio workstation, you can take you know a one-second bit and adjust the volume up and down quite a bit. So it works out really, really, really well. So I use Reaper. Um, there are other ones out there. I, I have uh, someone I know uses a program called Fruity Loops for doing more music stuff. Apparently, it's pretty easy to use, but I... I that has a little bit more cost to it. You know, there's a lot of other commercial programs out there, but they cost quite a bit more. So in terms of bang for your buck, um, I would highly recommend 
either GarageBand, if you have it, and again, I'm not really familiar with it, or if you don't have GarageBand, then I think Reaper is really good. Then, of course, Audacity is, is something that a lot of folks kind of default to. So, so the way my workflow typically looks like, you know, I set up, I record. Uh, after I'm done recording, I plug in the recorder into my computer to transfer the, the uh, copy over the sound files into my main PC, load them into Reaper, um, lay out the individual tracks, edit as needed there, add some background sound, add the intro and the outro if I have them on there. And then I render it to uh, uh, MP3 that I can then upload onto my podcast host. And um, now that's another question for folks is where are you going to host your podcast? And there's a lot of different places. Um, I, I made a, a decision after looking at a couple to go with Simplecast. It's probably not the the most mature and um, kind of long-lived of them. It's a relatively new player. It's really simple, uh, which is what I liked. Now I kind of wish I went to uh, Blueberry. Uh, that's a little bit more complicated to use. I actually looked at making the switch, and I couldn't. It won't migrate my things over quite the way I want. So I'm, I'm making Simplecast work now. But a lot of larger podcasts use Blueberry. The difference, you know, Simplecast is like $15 a month. Blueberry is like $20 a month. I went with something that was simple and cheaper. It works out okay. You know, you get a pretty basic site. Um, what you don't get is a good integration. If you want to integrate your uh, podcast into a website automatically, uh, whereas Blueberry has that. They actually have a WordPress plugin that is um, called uh, PowerPress, which will link directly to your podcast and make it relatively seamless. Um, I'm doing something a little, a little bit more clunky, but it seems to seems to work out. All right, so uh, I've, t- I've talked a little bit about equipment, a little bit about um, software, uh, a little bit about hosting. Um, there's tons of other hosts out there. Just look at a top 10 list. Um, Again, Simplecast works fine for me, but there's a whole bunch of others that would probably work just as well for you. Need to look at what other things you want to do besides the podcast, though, uh, and make sure that they're capable of, of facilitating that. Uh, and then kind of the last thing I, I want to talk about is the your actual podcast schedule and format type of thing. So one of the things that in my research that I came across is that if you are doing a podcast is a couple things that are important, especially from the beginning. You need to have good sound quality. And that's what a lot of the equipment and everything talks about. You also have to have um, good consistency and consistency in that you are regularly posting up your content where people can download it and when they're expecting to see it. So the idea that, you know, I'm saying like for, for our podcast, I say, Hey, uh, I post things up every Tuesday night. I need to make sure everything's posted Tuesday night so that somebody who's looking for the next episode gets it and doesn't decide to move on to something else. So having good quality, good consistency, and, and probably most importantly, having good, interesting content. You know, for us, we started off with an actual play podcast of uh, uh, Starfinder, which is a Paizo role-playing game. And that by itself maybe isn't super interesting to anybody other than us 
What I think made our makes ours a little bit more compelling is the fact that we actually have one of the authors of this particular adventure path that we're going through actually is a player in our group and we're going to have him and then another author come in and GM our adventure path which makes it really pretty cool that's something you get access to is an author running an author who wrote the game that you're playing uh, running it for you so you get to kind of see their vision through their eyes but also we had very knowledgeable group as well that had played together and although none of us are are voice actors and we can't do really really fancy uh, characters and role play and everything we do a good job i think at using explaining the rules as we're going along as part of the gameplay and with a relatively new system like starfinder so just two years old now that i i think it's important for for especially new players that we model kind of the behavior that you might expect to see or want to see in a game you know in terms of following the rules properly how the game flow goes what interactions you have between players and the game master things like that so that's i think one of the things that I thought hope or hope would be compelling about the podcast by itself. Now, what it finally occurred to me uh, as we're going through this is that, you know, there are a lot of people that don't want to listen to the podcast because they don't want to hear the spoilers for if they were going to play the same adventure path later. So, uh, and I ran into this with somebody else when I was doing another adventure path where he was very conscious to not listen to a podcast that was getting beyond where we were playing because he didn't want to ruin it. And so in order to help make more interesting things uh, for our podcast, I decided, hey, you know, I know a lot of folks in the industry. Why don't I start seeing if they're interested in being interviewed? And so I started at a convention just kind of asking around. And uh, I'm surprised that like most everybody seems to be really, you know, open to talking about what they do, how they do it or, you know, what their interests are, how they got there. And a lot of these things I was curious to know, and I kind of thought, well, maybe other people would be as well. And so, you know, that kind of got me started. And then I was uh, happened to be doing some work for Paizo um, as a freelance writer. And so I contacted some of my contacts there and said, hey, I'm doing this podcast thing. Can I interview you guys? And so I got in there. I interviewed a couple people and they said, hey you ought to go interview these people. And so I interviewed them. They said, hey, you should enter. And so I really, you know, getting my foot in the door with, with one person actually enabled me to get a whole lot of interviews. And then now, I, I not only do I have people with this one company, but now I have other writers and freelancers and developers actually across the world that say, hey, you know, I see you're doing these interviews. I'm, I would be interested in being interviewed as well. And so now, you know, I, I, I've completed about um, 10 interviews and I have like another dozen scheduled and more people that would be interested in getting scheduled. And I, and I think between the actual play podcasts and the interviews, you know, we're able to, on a weekly basis, have one to two um, good, interesting things of content, not super long so that the, the actual play podcasts run 45 minutes to an hour and 15 and then the interviews run 30 to 40 minutes, some a little shorter, some a little longer. I think the regular content and um, of interest to people has been enough to get us some, some, some decent traction and traffic here. Well, um, that's about all I have to talk about today. Uh, hopefully this is informative for, for some of you all. Uh, if you do have any questions or comments or suggestions, 
please go ahead and go over to our, our website, which is blog.intrepidheroes.net, and either feel free to comment on the post that will be up there, or there's actually a discussion forum as well where you can post things in there. Again, uh, this is John Godick with Intrepid Heroes, wishing you and yours a happy new year.